0: Hello, this is episode 8 of the Hate Crime Files, a podcast about crimes typically involving violence motivated by prejudice based on race, religion, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, or other grounds. I'm your host, Terrence Heath. This podcast covers disturbing events and may not be suitable for everyone. It is not recommended for children under 13. Listener discretion is advised. Before getting into the main story for this episode, I want to introduce a new segment of the podcast that I call Hate Crime News. I thought of this segment because, due to the subject matter of this episode, I would have felt remiss in failing to mention some of the the related stories in the news at the time of this recording. In the past couple of weeks, three mass shootings have made national headlines. Two of them appeared to have been carried out by shooters with white supremacist or white nationalist leanings. At about 5.40 p.m. on October 28th, just a year and one day after the incident featured in this episode, Nineteen-year-old Santino William Lagan of Nevada cut through a fence to avoid security at the Gilroy Garlic Festival in Gilroy, California, and opened fire as the festival was winding down. Legan wore a bulletproof vest and multiple magazines on his body as he fired 39 rounds into the crowd, killing three people and injuring 13 before turning the gun on himself and taking his own life. The shooting appeared to be motivated at least in part by white supremacist ideology. Before the attack, Legan posted a photo on Instagram of a Smokey the Bear sign warning about fire danger with a caption urging people to read an obscure novel glorified by white supremacists, Might is Right, published under the pseudonym Ragnar Redbeard. The book, published in the 1880s, Argues that power alone can establish moral right, and includes discredited principles related to social Darwinism that have been used to justify racism, slavery, and colonialism. Read Might Is Right by Ragnar Redbeard, the gunman reportedly wrote. Why overcrowd towns and pave more open space to make room for hordes of Mestizos and Silicon Valley white twats? A Mestizo is a person of mixed descent, usually white and Hispanic or white and American Indian. Gilroy is an agricultural community with a population that is over 60% Latino, mainly of Mexican descent. At 10.45 a.m. on August 3, 2019, 21-year-old Patrick Crucius of Allen, Texas, walked into an El Paso Walmart packed with up to 3,000 people and opened fire, killing 22 people and injuring 24. The El Paso shooting was also likely motivated by white supremacist ideology. Crucius left behind a 15-page, 2,300-word manifesto which appeared on the anonymous message board 8chan just half an hour before the shooting. Titled An Inconvenient Truth, the manifesto goes into some depth about why the author was against race mixing and supports the idea to send them back and makes a case for or prediction of genocide. The manifesto draws direct inspiration from the mass murder of Muslims at two mosques in New Zealand in March that left 51 people dead. One paragraph reads, In general, I support the Christchurch shooter and his manifesto. This attack is a response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas. They are the instigators, not me. I am simply defending my country from cultural and ethnic replacement brought on by an invasion. Some people will think this statement is hypocritical because of the nearly complete ethnic and cultural destruction brought to the Native Americans by our European ancestors, but this just reinforces my point. The natives didn't take the invasion of Europeans seriously, and now what's left is just a shadow of what was. My motives for this attack are not at all personal. Actually, the Hispanic community was not my target before I read The Great Replacement. This manifesto will cover the political and economic reasons behind the attack, my gear, my expectations of what response this will generate, and my personal motivations and thoughts. The shooter's use of anti-immigrant invasion rhetoric used by the Trump administration have led some to place at least part of the blame for the shootings on the president and his administration. Conservative Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin wrote in a column titled There is No Excuse for Supporting This President. In sum, we are awash in hate crimes and white nationalist-inspired mass murders. We have a president whose words inspire and bolster perpetrators of these heinous acts. That makes Trump not only a moral abomination which no policy outcome can offset, but a threat to national security. Those encouraged by his words in recent years kill more Americans than Islamist terrorists. If that is not justification for a bipartisan repudiation of this president and removal from office, At the earliest possible moment, I don't know what is. Those who countenance and support this president for his white grievance-mongering are not merely deplorable, but dangerous. And now, on to the main story for this episode. October twenty seventh, 2018 began as a peaceful Saturday morning. It was the Sabbath for many of the residents of Pittsburgh's Squirrel Hill neighborhood, and there was a slight drizzle as they made their way to synagogue. The tree-lined neighborhood about 10 minutes from downtown Pittsburgh is a hub of the city's Jewish community and one of the largest predominantly Jewish neighborhoods in the country. Over a quarter of the city's Jewish households are in Squirrel Hill, according to a Brandeis University study of the Greater Pittsburgh Jewish population. And almost half the Jewish children in Greater Pittsburgh live in the neighborhood. A profound sense of security reigned in Squirrel Hill, which is home to a dozen synagogues, including the Tree of Life Synagogue. The congregation at Tree of Life, affiliated with the conservative movement, is a historic one dating back to 1864. It was initially located in a downtown building built in 1906 that now serves as the home of Pittsburgh's performing arts center in the city's Oakland neighborhood. The fortress-like concrete building in Squirrel Hill was built in 1946 with a cornerstone hewn from limestone quarried in Jerusalem on land donated by then-Synagogue President Charles J. Rosenblum. The congregation moved to Squirrel Hill in 1953. In 1959, the congregation broke ground on a 1,400-seat sanctuary fronted by modernist stained glass windows depicting the story of creation, the acceptance of God's law, the life cycle, and how human beings should care for the earth and one another. The dim morning light was probably pouring in through those windows as congregants arrived that Saturday morning. On high holidays, the sanctuary came close to reaching its capacity of about 1,400 congregants and security officers would be on hand but that Saturday morning there were only about seventy-five people present in the building. Three congregations were using the building that day. Tree of Life members gathered in the Previn Chapel. The New Light congregation, which moved to the Tree of Life building when its congregation of about 100 older members could no longer afford its own space, gathered in the basement. Dor Hadash members gathered near the front of the sanctuary for a bris, a naming ceremony for a baby boy. Ninety seven year old Tree of Life member Rose Mallinger was probably among the first to arrive. A long time member, she had attended services almost unfailingly for decades. Her daughter, Andrea Wettner, also attended. Miss Malinger was probably greeted by the Rosenthal brothers, 59-year-old Cecil and 54-year-old David near the entrance to the sanctuary. The brothers lived semi-independently and went through life together with help from the disability services group Achiva, which provides support with daily living, employment, and other needs. Cecil was known as the honorary mayor of Squirrel Hill and enjoyed activities like concerts, and having lunch at Eden Park, a local chain known for its smiley face cookies. The Simmons, 86-year-old Sylvan and 84-year-old Bernice were likely among the early arrivals. They were fixtures in the community. Emeritus Rabbi Alvin Birkin said, they were a very devoted and active presence. Sylvan, a retired accountant known for his sense of humor uh, and his frequent walks through the neighborhood with the couple's dog and Bernice, served on the synagogue's board. Tree of Life was a spiritual home for the Simmons. They'd married there in a candlelight ceremony nearly 62 years ago. As the congregants arrived at the synagogue, 46-year-old Robert Bowers, a local truck driver, sat outside in his teal-blue sedan. He had with him three fifty seven caliber handguns, a shotgun, and an AR-15 rifle. The AR-15 is a civilian version of the military's M16 and M4 carbines. Unlike its military counterparts, the AR-15 cannot fire in burst mode, which would allow it to discharge as many as three rounds with one trigger pull. Nor can it shoot in automatic mode, which would enable it to fire rounds until the trigger is released or ammunition runs out. The AR-15 fires one bullet at a time, but fires twice as fast as most handguns. Standard magazines can hold 30 rounds and can be switched out quickly, allowing the shooter to fire hundreds of bullets in minutes. It's light, easy to carry and shoot, with limited recoil. That's likely why it has become the weapon of choice by mass shooters in the U.S. The AR-15, or a modified version of it, was the primary weapon used in about half of the ten deadliest mass shootings in American history thus far including the 2012 Aurora and Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings, the 2015 San Bernardino attack, the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, the 2016 Sutherland Springs Church shooting, and the 2018 Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Congress banned the manufacture of assault weapons in 1994 but allowed the legislation to expire in 2004. Bowers seems to have had a somewhat troubled youth. His parents divorced when he was about one year old. His father ran into trouble with the law and died of suicide at the age of 27 when Bowers was six years old. His mother remarried to a man in Florida and Bowers lived with them until their divorce a year later. Then he lived with his mother's parents in Whitehall, Pennsylvania and they assumed responsibility for him after his mother developed health problems. He lived with them until his grandfather's death in 2014. Bauer's childhood friend, Jim Brinsky, described him as an isolated child who seemed to have difficulty at home. He was in his own little world, Brinsky said. The two spent their time building pipe bombs and blowing up watermelons and trees as pranks. They drifted apart in high school, where Brinsky said Bowers would don a camouflage jacket and drift alone through the hallways. He wasn't listed in any sports or activities in his 1989 junior class yearbook, and doesn't appear at all as a senior in the next year's book, as he'd apparently dropped out. He was pretty much a ghost, Brinsky said. He was just as much of a phantom to his neighbors in McNulty Acres, a two-story brick apartment complex at the end of a dead-end street in the suburb of Baldwin Borough, just 25 minutes away from downtown Pittsburgh. He made so little of an impression that his neighbor, Carrie Owens, couldn't remember his name, though he'd lived there for a year and a half, alone, in a shabby one-bedroom apartment. He worked as a local trucker at B. Kappel Trucking in Pittsburgh's Fairywood neighborhood. He had no guests and watched television late into the night. Bower's neighbors had no idea that he had an arsenal in his apartment. Along with the four guns found at the synagogue and the shotgun removed from his car, three handguns and two rifles were later discovered at his residence, for a total of ten guns, all owned and possessed legally. No law in Pennsylvania would have prevented Bowers from owning the guns, and he didn't fall into any category barred from gun ownership under federal law. He wasn't a felon, a convicted domestic abuser, a dishonorably discharged veteran or someone judged to be mentally ill and subject to certain restraining orders. Bowers received a permit to carry firearms in July 2016 and obtained a hunting license less than a year later. He has 21 guns registered to his name. He may have been a cipher to his neighbors but Bowers lived a more revealing life online. Internet records show that by 1999, Bowers was at least peripherally associated with the Quinn in the Morning and host Jim Quinn's War Room shows. Quinn and co-host Rose Soma Tennant were known for their conservative views. Internet archives show that in 1999, Bowers' website OneDingo.com read as follows This page will be used as a backup site for the Warroom audio archives, so bookmark it and then go here for the shows. The site also included a photo labeled Quinn in the Morning. In 2000, according to archived versions of the Warroom.com, the site's sound guy was Rob with the email address warroom one dingo, dot com. Archived versions of the website warroom.com also include this credit, all HTML and MPEG codings on this page by Rob Bowers. From his modest apartment, Bowers accessed some of the darkest quarters of the Internet. In particular, he was a frequent poster on Gab a relatively small social network that claims to, quote, defend individual liberty and free expression online and has fewer restrictions on what users may post than platforms like Facebook or Twitter. Gab was started by conservative programmer Andrew Torba out of frustration with what he saw as Silicon Valley's left-wing censorship. Torba announced Gab's launch with a barrage against political correctness, which he said had, quote, become a cancer on discourse and culture. Gab, he said, would be a social network where all speech would be welcome, no matter how noxious or offensive. And so it was. Early members included the right-wing provocateur Milo Yiannopoulos and Andrew Anglin, the founder of the neo-Nazi Daily Stormer website, and well-known white nationalist Richard Spencer. Gab claims to have over 700,000 members and has areas for various interest groups, including cryptocurrency traders, doomsday preppers, and fans of Japanese-style animated pornography. But Gab's most popular posts espouse far right ideology. Its relative lawlessness has made it an online watering hole for alt right activists and white nationalists whose views are unwelcome on other social media platforms. There were bumps in the road, however. In 2017, Google banned the company's app for failing to moderate hateful content. Apple also restricted the app. Microsoft threatened to cut off Gab's access to its Azure cloud service because of posts advocating genocidal violence against Jews. The posts were ultimately taken down. For Bowers, Gab was a purlieu where he engaged with several influential alt-right figures including Bradley Dean Griffin, Patrick Little, Jared Wyand, and a user named Jack Corbin. Bowers shared content produced by alt-right influencer Jared Wyand over 15 times between February and May of 2018, including one direct interaction. Wyand amassed over 130,000 followers on Twitter before being suspended in December 2016 for a multi tweet screed against Jews and arguing that the Star Wars film franchise promoted white genocide. A sampling of Wyand's posts shows themes that Bowers would later echo in his own posts. In one chilling post, Wyand writes, Can we all agree that we're being invaded, an actual orchestrated overthrow of our country that is on track to succeed? And that our people and culture will be, are being, completely destroyed. And that it's on us to stop this by any means necessary. And the people telling us we can't, are the people orchestrating overthrow? Are we all in agreement? In another, he writes, Why is there a DACA debate topic? Why are people allowing a debate? over whether millions of people who invaded our country will be allowed to cancel out our votes and give democrats indefinite one party rule people who've been stealing 115 billion from us a year this is not a debate this is a red line and an act of war if you have any dignity in your body between may and october of 2018, Bowers also engaged with 14 posts from white nationalist Bradley Dean Griffin, who operates the white nationalist blog Occidental Dissent under the pseudonym Hunter Wallace and serves as the PR chief of the neo-confederate hate group League of the South. Griffin also created a website called Antisemitica, the purpose of which was to, quote, explore the Jewish question and anti-Semitic discourse from a cooler, more collected perspective. Instead, we shall argue that Jewish influence in the aggregate is a menace to the racial and cultural health of American society, and that white Americans would be better off without a Jewish presence within our borders. Griffin was a prominent figure in the optics debate of 2017, a roiling argument among the alt-right movement about whether avowed white nationalists should veil their rhetoric until political recruits were sufficiently radicalized to accept rhetoric about genocide and violence. The debate began after the 2016 presidential election and intensified in the aftermath of the Unite the Right rally in Charleston, Virginia. Bowers shared Griffin's posts on a variety of topics and alt-right events. One critiqued the Republican Party for moving to oust white nationalist James Alsup from his position as a precinct committee officer in Washington state. Another shared legal developments regarding the Unite the Right riot. Another gloated about the then impending confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Bowers engaged most with a user who went by the name Jack Corbin. Both Bowers and Corbin appear to have collaborated with Griffin on Griffin's pet project doxing activists affiliated with anti-fascist groups. Doxing, if you don't know, is the practice of searching for and publishing private or identifying information such as addresses or phone numbers about a particular individual or group on the internet, usually with malicious intent. These engagements account for just a fraction of the 767 posts Bowers made between December 22nd of 2017 and October 9th of 2018. But they're the accounts he engaged with the most. These interactions show how easy it is for prominent alt-right figures to spread and solidify their influence through social media networks like Gab. The Southern Poverty Law Center found that in the 19 days before October 7, 2018, Bowers posted or reposted memes and comments at least 68 times, many of which reflected anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that have long been in circulation among neo-Nazis and white nationalists. Bauer seemed to be mainly influenced by white nationalist fixations on the caravan of Central Americans moving through Mexico and by fringe white genocide theories that Jews and minorities were, in combination, threatening whites with, quote, extinction. Bowers frequently reposted anti-Semitic content that alleged Jews control the nation on a doctored image of the Auschwitz concentration camp. The gate was altered to read, Lies Make Money. In particular, Bowers was fixated on the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, HIAS, It was founded in 1881 to help Jews fleeing the pogroms in the Russian Empire. In the second half of the 20th century, it extended its mission to help Jews leaving Hungary, Cuba, Iran, and Ethiopia, as well as non-Jews from Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. In the 2000s, HIAS expanded its work again to help people all over the world. The organization now works on resettlement in the United States in refugee camps and also processes the paperwork for people arriving and applying for resettlement through the offices of the United Nations High Commissioner on Refugees. The organization's commitment to helping displaced people has made it a target. The anti-Semitic right has accused it of bringing immigrants into the United States in a scheme designed to somehow benefit Jews. The anti-Semitic belief echoes those that fueled the pogroms in Russia in the 1800s, leading to the formation of Hyas. The Nazis similarly believe that Germany was facing annihilation from a Jewish attack It's no coincidence that the alt-right marchers in Charlottesville chanted Blood and Soil, an English translation of the Nazis Blut and Boden slogan and Jews will not replace us. Nor is it coincidental that violence ensued. The alt-right are united in the belief that foreign elements have penetrated society and are making it unhealthy and must be destroyed. Thus Even murder becomes a virtue. That's how the seed of eliminationism is planted and nurtured. The far right wants to exterminate, not merely defeat, the left. Violent rhetoric and fantasies create an atmosphere in which violence and even murder is permissible. The demonization of an individual or group results in the incitement of a violent act. It's called stochastic terrorism, and it lets bullies operate in the open with full deniability. It weaponizes the unstable individuals against political opponents, driving the so-called lone wolf syndrome. The seemingly random element of the lone wolf eliminates any direct proof of causation, in the tree of life, shooting the conflation of the ethnic other and the political left produced deadly results. Bowers believed that Jewish leftists like George Soros were funding illegal immigration into the U.S. The Tree of Life synagogue supported HIAS, a Jewish nonprofit that settles or resettles refugees. Hatred of Jews, the left, and immigrants blended into a toxic brew. Two and a half weeks before October 27th, Bowers linked to a highest project called the National Refugee Shabbat, writing, Why, hello there, Highest. You like to bring in hostile invaders to dwell among us? Another post said, Open your eyes. It's the filthy, evil Jews bringing the filthy, evil Muslims into the country. Bowers was also among a set of neo-Nazis criticizing Donald Trump for what they saw as him not being biased enough against Jews. Trump is a globalist, not a nationalist, Bowers wrote on Gab. There's no MAGA as long as there is a kike infestation. Bowers also blasted Trump for not being supportive enough of the white supremacists of the deadly Charlottesville Unite the Right rally and of the violent alt-right gang the Proud Boys. At 9:49 a.m. on October 27th, Bowers made his last post to Gab, most likely from his car parked right outside the synagogue. He wrote I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics, I'm going in. Shortly after, Bowers entered the building armed with three 357 caliber handguns and an AR-15 rifle. He would use all three in his deadly attack. The gunfire started just a minute later as Bowers entered the synagogue and shouted, "All Jews must die." At first, there was confusion about what was happening. The gunfire sounded like banging. Rabbi Jeffrey Myers said that he thought the noise was a coat rack falling over. Initially, he fled with some of his congregation, before turning back upon realizing that others were still inside. I knew at that point that there was nothing I could do, Myers said. He took shelter in a choir loft and called 911. The Rosenthal brothers, Cecil and David, were the first to be shot near the entrance of the synagogue. Ninety-year-old E. Joseph Charney was praying when he heard the shots. He saw a man bowers in the doorway. I looked up, and there were all these dead bodies, he told the Washington Post. Custodian Augie Siriano was outside the Previn Chapel. I turned and looked, and there was a gentleman lying face down, coming out of the doors, and he had blood coming out of his head, he recalled. As soon as I seen that, I turned and headed in the other direction towards the exit doors. Bowers headed downstairs. New Light member Melvin Wax, an accountant and grandfather of three, in his late 80s took shelter in a closet with other members. He opened the closet door during a lull in the shooting to see what was going on, and Bowers shot him dead. After shooting Wax, Bowers entered the closet and peered past Wax's body, but was unable to make out more potential victims hiding in the dark. Richard Gottfried, also a New Light member, had run a dental practice with his wife, Margaret, since 1984. He often did charity work, seeing patients who could not otherwise afford dental care. He was preparing for retirement, on the cusp of entering a new chapter in life. 71-year-old New Light member Dan Stein was a substitute teacher and Little League coach. He was also a leader in the congregation. Together with Wax and Gottfried, he led the service. They maintained the Torah. They did what needed to be done with the rabbi to make services happen, Stephen Cohen, co-president of New Light Congregation, said. His wife, Sharon, is the membership vice president of the area's Hasada chapter. Bowers shot and killed Gottfried and Stein in the basement kitchen near the closet where Melvin Wax and others were hiding. Dorhadash member Dr. Jerry Rubinowitz, a family practitioner at UPMC Shadyside, was a physician who provided care to people with HIV AIDS. Bowers shot and killed him as he ran toward the gunfire to see if anyone was hurt. Bowers turned and headed back upstairs. Police officers arrived at 9.59 a.m. Bowers fired at them. One officer was shot in the hand and another was wounded by shrapnel and broken glass. Officers outside provided cover fire so that the injured officers could escape. Injured, Bowers retreated back into the building. Police engaged with Bowers inside the chapel where two more officers were shot multiple times. When Mark Pinschalk, a division chief with Pittsburgh Emergency Medical Services, arrived, SWAT officers were already inside. There were several dead bodies to the left of the entryway. There were a lot of bullet holes, shell casings, a lot of blood kind of all over the place, Pinschalk said. Over 1,000 bullet holes dotted the walls of the sanctuary, rendering it unusable. It would have to be gutted and rebuilt. FBI Pittsburgh Special Agent in Charge Bob Jones said it was the most horrific scene he had seen in his 22 years with the Bureau. Members of the Tree of Life Synagogue conducting a peaceful service in their place of worship were brutally murdered by a gunman simply targeting them because of their faith, he said. At 11.08 a.m., Bowers crawled out of the room in which he was hiding and surrendered. Twenty minutes had passed since he had entered the building. In that time, he had shot and killed eleven people. Dr. Jerry Rabinowitz, Richard Gottfried, Dan Stein, Melvin Wax, Joyce Joyce Feinberg, Rose Malinger, Cecil and David Rosenthal, Sylvan and Bernice Simon, and Irving Younger. Six more, including responding officers, were wounded. Bowers was also wounded, though it was unclear whether or not his wounds were self-inflicted. He continued to make anti-Semitic statements once in police custody. While he was being treated for his injuries, Bowers told an officer that he wanted all Jews to die and that they, Jews, were committing genocide to his people. Bowers was taken to Allegheny General Hospital for his injuries. Ari Mahler, the nurse who treated Bowers, was working in the emergency room when Bowers was wheeled in shouting death to all Jews. Mahler, who now works as a trauma nurse, told his story on Facebook. Mahler didn't think Bowers knew he was Jewish and chose not to tell him, and to show him empathy because he wanted Bowers to feel compassion. I felt the best way to honor his victims was for a Jew to prove him wrong, he wrote. Love, Mahler wrote, that's why I did it. Love as an action is more powerful than words, and love in the face of evil gives others hope, Mahler wrote. It demonstrates humanity. It reaffirms why we're all here. I could care less what Robert Bowers thinks. But you, the person reading this, love is the only message I wish to instill in you. If my actions mean anything, love means everything. Condemnation of the deadly attack on a peaceful house of worship came from all quarters. World Jewish Congress President Ronald S. Lauder called the shooting an attack not just on the Jewish community, but on America as a whole. The Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. condemned the attack on the Tree of Life Synagogue and called on all Americans to actively work to promote social solidarity and respect the dignity of all individuals. The Council on American-Islamic Relations also condemned the heinous and cowardly attack on a house of worship, saying in a statement, This attack is on American values and principles of humanity, and we all need to come together to restore civilized values to our society. Speaking at a news conference on the Saturday of the attack, Governor Tom Wolfe of Pennsylvania said, We simply cannot accept this violence as a normal part of American life. These senseless acts of violence are not who we are as Pennsylvanians, and not who we are as Americans. On Sunday, thousands of members of the community and numerous religious officials gathered for a vigil at the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall to mourn the victims from all three congregations housed in the Tree of Life Syndrome. President Donald Trump, however, seemed to place at least some of the blame on synagogue officials telling reporters the shooting could have been prevented with an armed security guard. They didn't have any protection, Trump said. They had a maniac walk in and they didn't have any protection. And that is just sad to see. So sad to see. The results could have been much better. Never mind that Americans should be able to go to their places of worship, not to mention workplaces, schools shopping malls grocery stores movie theaters or concerts without having to worry about being shot former tree of life president michael eisenberg said the synagogue had worked with a securities expert about what to do in an active shooter situation it was a major concern for me for us we were working with the department of homeland security to evaluate exit routes eisenberg told reporters saying they had also worked with other synagogues to prepare for active shooter situations. When asked if his administration should examine gun regulations, Trump said gun regulation, quote, has little to do with it. Instead, he brought up capital punishment saying that those who shoot people in churches and temples should be sentenced to die. After the shooting, the Gab social network issued a statement identifying the account believed to have belonged to Bowers. The account was verified and matched the name of the alleged shooter's name, which was mentioned on police scanners, the statement said. This person also had accounts on other social networks. Gap says it took down Bowers' account and contacted the FBI, according to the Post. GAB unequivocally disavows and condemns all acts of violence and terrorism, the statement read. GAB suffered repercussions due to its connection to Bowers. After the shooting, PayPal banned GAB from its payment platform. The site's hosting provider, Joyent, said that it would stop hosting the site. The site went offline the Sunday following the shooting and was replaced with an announcement that its service would be temporarily unavailable while it searched for a new hosting provider. We have been systematically no-platformed by app stores, multiple hosting providers, and several payment processors, the statement read. Domain name provider GoDaddy gave Gab 24 hours to move its domain to another service, after finding content on the site promoting violence, Stripe, the payment processing platform Gab had used to handle fees for its paid pro membership level, froze Gab's account citing terms of service violations and suspended transfers to the company's bank depending an investigation. On november second, thirty year old Washington DC resident Jeffrey Clark Was arrested after family members called authorities to report that he could be a danger to himself or others. Family members told police that Clark was having agitated outbursts and said the victims shot at Tree of Life, quote, deserved it. Relatives said that Clark and his 23 year old brother, Edward were part of alt-right movements and became interested in guns because they believed there was going to be a race war and wanted to expedite it. They were admirers of Oklahoma bomber Timothy McVeigh, unabomber Ted Kaczynski, and Charles Manson, and, quote, openly discussed killing Jews and black people. The brothers lived in a row house in Washington's Bloomingdale neighborhood, where they would smoke marijuana, methamphetamine, and play games like ethnic cleansing. They had four guns between them. A Remington Arms handgun, a Mossberg shotgun, a Beretta handgun, and a Ruger Mini-14 rifle. All registered in D.C. Jeffrey Clark surrendered a Colt 38 handgun to authorities, which was not registered to either brother. Agents also confiscated two kits to convert semi-automatic AR-15s into fully automatic rifles. Authorities also found two muzzle-loading pistols and shotgun shells in Jeffrey Clark's bedroom. In Edward Clark's bedroom, they found two ballistic vests, two ballistic helmets, and two gas masks. Both Clark brothers attended the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, and neighbors suspected them of distributing white supremacist flyers left on cars in the area in June 2017. The anti-immigration leaflets were associated with the group Vanguard America, which advocates for an exclusively white America. In the early hours after the shooting, Edward took his own life with the Beretta Pistol on Theodore Roosevelt Island in Washington, D.C. The younger Clark was found with two additional magazines of ammunition containing 20 rounds each. Family members didn't know why he had so many bullets with him, but believe he may have been planning to commit a violent act. Clark was friends with Bowers via the Gab social network. After the shooting at Tree of Life, Clark posted a picture of Bowers on Gab writing underneath it. This was a dry run for things to come. Clark called Bowers a hero after the shooting. Clark faces one count of unlawful possession of firearms by a person who is an unlawful user of or addicted to any controlled substance and one count in the District of Columbia of possessing high-capacity magazines. He faces 11 years in prison if convicted. On November 18th, a judge ordered Clark held in jail until trial, telling him, Seems like you were planning something. His public defender has been working on a plea deal. A status hearing was delayed until May 3rd to give attorneys more time. Back in Pittsburgh, Bowers was charged in a 44-count indictment Charging him with federal hate crimes. On January 29, 2019, a grand jury added 19 counts to the 44 Bowers was already facing, for a total of 63. For each of the 11 victims killed, Bowers faces separate counts of obstruction of free exercise of religion, resulting in death, and of using a firearm to commit murder during a crime of violence. He also faces charges of attempting to kill people exercising their religious beliefs and civil rights charges relating to injuring several police officers who responded to the attack. He also faces several state charges, including 11 counts of criminal homicide. On February 19, 2019, Bowers pleaded not guilty in a federal court. His attorney, Judy Clark, no relation to Jeffrey and Edward Clark, says the defense hopes the case can be resolved without going to trial. Clark, a noted death penalty lawyer, previously defended one of the Boston Marathon bombers, a 9-11 conspirator, and Unabomber Ted Kaczynski. In July, Tree of Life Rabbi Jeffrey Myers posted a column on the synagogue's website, lambasting Washington's failure to act against gun violence. Despite continuous calls for sensible gun control and mental health care, our elected leaders in Washington knew that it would fade away in time, he wrote. Unless there is a dramatic turnaround in the midterm elections, I fear that the status quo will remain unchanged and school shootings will resume. I shouldn't have to include in my daily morning prayers that God should watch over my wife and daughter, both teachers, and keep them safe. Where are our leaders? The Hate Crime Files podcast is researched, written, produced, and hosted by Terence Heath. That's me. Thanks for listening. And to all my listeners and subscribers, thanks again for your support i'll be back with another episode on the first of the month if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it please subscribe tell your friends and family about it and consider leaving a positive review at apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts until next time be careful out there and be good to each other